Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. I wrestled with this sermon in a way that I have never wrestled with. A, I don't think so. I don't think that's hyperbole. Uh, I think I had two completed sermons this week. So they're sitting somewhere. And... Um, Yesterday, I was in a serious wrestling match. Last evening, I still was. I still didn't have peace for some reason, and yet it was stuff that I really wanted to teach. I got up this morning. I won't say how early. Let's just say it was early. And I got up this morning early, and I was still troubled. I went into the basement. I asked the Holy Spirit. I said, you've got to help me. Like, I'm obviously... I don't have on my heart what it is you want to anchor this last message of the series and what you have for today. And then he gave me an idea. And so I'm going with the idea. I synced, this message is a synchronization of stuff I've been saying in my church renewal presentation to pastors for the last year. It includes a major chunk of what I said at the global gathering. And then it includes a big chunk of what I had written for the sermon today. And somehow we've woven that together into something, and I hope it comes out uh, the way it's supposed to. But I believe now that I see the wisdom in what the Holy Spirit wanted. He doesn't want the Holy Spirit to be a concept but a vital reality in our lives within the context of global events happening and transpiring right now. And so that is the context with which we're going to look at it. So here we go. If you've heard some of it, don't go to sleep because you haven't heard everything. All right? No one has heard everything. First of all, there is a future global event coming. It's the second coming and the millennium. Are you happy about that? Scripture promises uh, uh, promises us a new age coming that will be characterized by peace and justice and righteousness. Don't you long for that? Isaiah 2.4 says, He, the divine Davidic seed king that we talked about, shall judge between the nations, shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Bigger combines, I guess, are coming. And their spears into pruning hooks better orchards and vineyards. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Oh, the world longs for that, and so do I. Isaiah tells us there will be a renewal of nature, for wild predators will not harm domesticated animals. There will be uh, spiritual renewal unrivaled in, in history to date. Now, while Pentecost and the Reformation and Great Awakenings transpired in regions of the world, the coming outpouring of the Holy Spirit and subsequent harvest will be worldwide in scope, never seen before. Isaiah 11 says, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Can you imagine that? As the waters cover the sea, in that day the root of Jesse, that's the Davidic, you know, the divine Davidic seed king that we talked about, root of Jesse, will stand as a banner for the peoples. He'll be their king. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. 
What was promised in the Abrahamic covenant, a blessing to the nations, will be fulfilled during this incredible time. And it will happen when Jesus returns to set up his worldwide kingdom. This will truly be a global age of utopia. Wow. Well, there's a coming global event called the tribulation. Now, God has a pathway to the millennium. And his pathway is twofold. You need a divine, righteous king, and we already talked about one that would be, divine Davidic seed king. Uh, you need a righteous kind of king, political leader, ruling the nations. That's the first thing you need. Don't you long for that kind of a leader in the world today? And the second thing you know uh, uh, that you need, and this is what politicians would like, is you need a renewed humanity or followers. Because if, if you don't have renewed followers, it's very hard to rule them, as politicians are finding out today. So you need a new humanity with new hearts and God's spirit implanted in them. And of course, we talked about that in Ezekiel 36, 27, 27 in earlier uh, messages. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to caref carefully keep my laws. There it is. Thus, people would be enabled and empowered to, here's your Here's your mission statement, to love God and to love people, thus paving the way for a golden era of peace and harmony, which the scriptures call the millennium, or which we call the millennium. Next, I want you to notice something. Humanity's counterfeit pathways to utopia. Humanity has come up with its own ideas. The world also longs for a golden age of harmony, but has turned to solutions and pathways which are man-made counterfeits. Progressivism, the 18th century enlightenment, advanced that idea, the idea of progressivism, that humanity is progressing by charting its own course to a utopian age. That's different than what scripture taught. That's different from what God's, God says. God says, get a divine Davidic king to rule over the nations with righteousness and justice and peace and harmony and all that. And the world says, no, we don't need that. And God says, and then change their hearts. The world says, no, no, we got a better idea. Uh, the, the, uh, we got man-made solutions that will get us there. We want the same thing, we just don't want God's way to get there. We don't want his pathway. So Nazism, for example, desired to bring this about by developing a superior race. Their strategy was to eliminate undesirables and breed a master race. This was the counterfeit to God's solution of a new heart and the spirit within man. That's what it was. It's a demonic, it's a demonic counterfeit. And they promised a golden 1,000-year kingdom as a result, and they literally did that. Marxism said that if you change social conditions, like the class system, it would equalize things, and then all of humanity's problems, pain, and brokenness would go away. Communism, starting with Bolshe uh, Bolshevism, 
agreed and said that an author authoritarian state could bring this about. Few saw that it would quickly turn into a grisly nightmare of human purges and brutality under Lenin and Stalin, the Soviets, and Mao Zedong from China. However, progressivism not only advanced under authoritarian regimes, it is now in the process of overturning the world's social democracies. In the book, Live Not By Lies by Rob Dreher, he said the following. He, call, he called it soft totalitarianism. The death of God, he said, in the West gave birth to a new civilization devoted to liberating the individual to seek their own pleasures. That's the new utopia. See, that's another man-made solution to get to the golden era of peace and harmony in the world. This revolution is even more radical than the Bolshevik revolution because it negates any binding transcendent order. And by transcendent order, I'm talking about design rules, the way we were designed, how God designed us to function and interact with each other, such as definitions for marriage and family or sexual ethics. All of that has now been thrown out. Not even communists believed that. In this culture, the great sin is to stand in the way of the freedom of others who find happiness or utopia or heaven as they wish. And it is being enforced by the cultural elite, media, government, education, multinationals. And those in pursuit of such happiness are cast by the elite as the victims. And those who disagree, such as us, are publicly demonized as uncaring and unloving oppressors. Read Christians. They are then ostracized, thrown out of social or professional circles, which is why it is called the cancel culture. Beyond cancel culture, which is reactive, <clears throat> Institutions are embedding ideological tests within their systems to weed out dissenters. They're doing it right now. For example, the University of California in its system um, says that its teachers who want to apply for tenure track positions to affirm their, uh, you know, which means they can basically, that's job security. They're there for life then. Uh, they have to affirm their commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion. And they need to have demonstrated it. Loyalty tests for diversity ideology are common in corporate America. And um, Dreher uh, gives the example of Brendan Eich, uh, and he says one of, uh, he was one of the most important early figures of the internet, but in 2014, he was forced out of leadership of Mozilla the company he founded after employees objected to a small donation he made to the 2008 campaign to stop gay marriage in California. You see what I'm saying? That's what I mean by cancel culture. That's what I mean about soft totalitarianism. It's here in social democracies. 
And this totalitarian, uh, uh, totalitarianism appeals specifically to an internal hunger for harmony, happiness, and a just society. And it masquerades as kindness. Listen to their language. Listen to the tone of their language. They're loving and kind. Right now, compliance is less by the state than by elites. Uh, through public opinion and social media platforms. That's how it is being enforced right now. However, Communist China uses surveillance technology to enforce compliance. And uh, they, they have what they call the social credit system. Now, uh, you know, uh, the West got fooled. We got fooled. We thought that when, when China turned to capitalism, that that meant they were going to become a social democracy. Not true. They figured out a way how to marry capitalism within their totalitarian system. And now they control their people probably at a level that those people have never been controlled before with surveillance technology. And um, so using the social credit system, they've used this technology to perfect the police state in ways that Mao and Stalin couldn't do. In China, each person has an electronic profile, and every day the government collects this vast amount of data from every single person using the internet. You have to use your phone for your interactions because China is almost completely a cashless society, and that's exactly where we go. we're going. Every time you click with your phone right now, every time, you are sending data already somewhere. It just hasn't been used, well, it has been used in a soft way against us, but not in a, you know, in a completely totalitarian sense. But they're, they're keeping all the information. And that's what they're uh, doing in China. So every transa uh, transaction you make uh, with your smartphone is recorded. So the government computers know when you've done something socially positive, like going to the communist meeting, but it can also track through GPS, uh, you know, if you're going to a church or who you socialize with and so on. And the higher your social credit rating, the more privileges you get in Chinese society. That's happening right now. But the converse is also true. Your kids can't go to college, you can't travel, you can't shop in certain places. In fact, if your social credit system is low, your friends and relatives have to cut you off in order for them to protect their own social credit rating. And this could happen here too. The pathway to utopia for all social theories and religions, and I didn't even touch on religion because I just don't have time. I wanted to. Uh, but all religions like Islam is to coerce or force people to conform for the good and harmony of all. That's how you get to utopia. You enforce it. You, you, you force people to conform. That's how you do it. The pathway to utopia for Christians is for God to change the human heart with a transplant and fill it with his Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference between all the isms and all the religions and Christianity? There it is. 
The growing unrest in the world today and the coming tribulation is over a clash of ideas about how to get us to an era of peace and harmony. That's what it's going to be about. It's going to come through philosophical ideologies and religion, both, because they're all ideologies. And the tribulation is going to be a clash over those ideas at a level that we've never unprecedented before. The conflict over these ideas will be unlike anything the world has seen. Jesus predicted, he said, then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. That's what it's going to be about. Well, let's talk about the current global event, the pandemic. And before I get there, let me set it up just a little bit. Emperor Constantine officially recognized Christianity in the 4th century. And immediately he institutionalized it, forming a professional clergy-laity system, pressing all citizens into the church. Home gatherings were moved into church buildings, and this had two negative impacts. Ministry was taken away from people and given to professional clergy. That's not how it was in the early church. If you look at people like Stephen and Philip, they were, seven, they were two of the seven deacons. And in a few minutes, we'll see some of the things that they did. They weren't professional clergy. They weren't apostles. People, number two, people no longer fed themselves but depended on the clergy. So ministry was taken away and given to the clergy and self-feeding moved from the people to being fed by the clergy, spiritually fed. The current pandemic has exposed the weakness of this model. In a Christianity Today article, uh, last year, March 25th, past, uh, entitled Pastors from Europe Tell North America Get Ready Now by Ed Stetzer from Billy Graham uh, Association. And he reported that the Send Institute in Europe hosted a Zoom call with pastors, church planters, and missionaries in Italy and Spain. And, and here are a couple of comments that came from leaders that were involved in that particular meeting one year ago, just over a year ago. Miguel Castillo, church planning coordinator for M4 Europe, admitted they hadn't trained people to spiritually feed themselves. That's what he said. It's a missions organization. Angela Jolly in that same meeting said, and I quote, we should disciple people in a way that if Zoom goes out, they will be equipped to lead without you, meaning pastors. She was talking to pastors. They'll be equipped to lead without you. How would the church in the West today function if you took all the pastors out? See, that's the question we have to ask. And the old model, that clergy lady model, the institutional church, runs you into that kind of a problem. The scriptures teach us that the church leaders are to equip the saints to do this and also self-feed, that is, and also be equipped to minister or make disciples. Ephesians 4 says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. 
We have trained people how to serve in the church, but we haven't done a good job of training people how to minister inside and outside of the church. And the two are not the same. You don't need apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to train people how to serve. You need them to train people how to minister and make other disciples. That's what you need them for. We are not called to make converts, but disciples who obey. Jesus said this in the Great Commission. He said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's uh, speaking of those that have made a confession. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to what? Obey everything I've commanded you. We must move back to a small group discipleship model, even if we do it within the context of institutional church for as long as we have it. But I predict that we're going to lose the institutional church model. We won't be able to keep it with the pressures that are coming from the outside. But even if we can keep them, we have to move back because of the mistakes of history. We have to move back to a small group disciple-making model. And it can be done even within an institutional model. It just means that we have to get away from programs to disciple-making. That's what we have to do. That's what Scripture says. Everybody becomes a disciple maker. That's part of your, that, by the way, that's part of your vision statement. Be discipled and, and make disciples. I want to uh, share with you back to this book, and back to this book again by Rob Dreher, and you may want to read it. And he says, uh, he tells the story of Tomislav uh, Kolakovich. Um, in 1943, this Jesuit, Tomislav uh, Poglazin, fled his native Croatia one step ahead of the Gestapo and settled in Czechoslovakia, in Slovakia of Czechoslovakia. To conceal himself from the Nazis, he assumed his Slovak mother's name, Kolakovic, and took up a teaching position in Bratislava, which is their capital city. Because he had studied the Soviet Union to prepare for missionary work, he believed that the defeat of Nazi totalitarianism could be replaced by the Soviet's brand of totalitarianism, communism. By the time Kolakovich reached Bratislava, it was clear that the Red Army would defeat the Germans in the East. 1944, one year later, the Stalin uh, uh, Stalin promised the Czechs that after he had driven out the Nazis, he would give the country its independent freedom, but Kolakovich knew it was a lie, and uh, that Czechoslovakia would be sub subjugated by the Soviets. He then dedicated himself to preparing the church for persecution, and so should we. A Belgian, Joseph Kardjen, uh, had started a lay discipleship movement called the Young Christian Workers. Inspired, Kolakovich also established cells of faithful young Christians who came together for prayer, study, and fellowship. He also trained his young followers in how to work secretly and to withstand interrogation that he said would surely come. 1946, two years later, 
Kolokovich was deported, and two years later, 1948, the Soviet communists seized power just as he had predicted and did not hand it back to the Czechs. Uh, uh, to the Czechs. Within several years, most of those who had been discipled were imprisoned and the institutional church brutalized into submission. And when they, but when they emerged from prison in the 60s, 1960s, they began to build the underground church as their spiritual father had taught them, and this all ended in a democratic Czechoslovakia. We are in a Kolokovich moment in history. It's time to prepare the church by discipling it to make disciples. In other words, you need to be discipled in order to make disciples. And church history has taught us. I just gave one example here. I could give you examples from the, from the Pietist movement and the Moravians, from the John Wesleyan, the Wesleyan movement. I could give you examples of how they did that exact same kind of thing. And we could go further back in church history and talk about the creeds and things like that, that they, and catechisms that they passed on in a very systematic, intentional way to disciple people, to believe and act correctly as believers to withstand anything that was coming. Church renewal is a discipleship movement employing the ancient paths. That's all it is. We call it church renewal, but it's a discipleship-making movement, and I've said that to pastors for years. That's what it is. We have a robust discipleship pathway called The Way, and we have made our first phone app, which is already being used by pastors, and we have a second robust one being made by our, our programmers uh, that will be ready for this fall for the entire huge system that we have for discipleship. And it's all based on the implementation manuals that I continue to write, and we've got about 1,400 pages in that. Now, I want to talk to you uh, for a few moments about the filling of the Spirit for making disciples. This was a piece that was actually going to be part of two messages this week. Now, you say, but that's not what I'm good at or gifted at. Like, I don't make disciples. I, you know, I serve. Yes, we should all serve. But we can all be in the disciple-making ministry. Everyone can. But that's a key reason you need the empowerment of the Spirit. You say, but I'm not good at that. I know. And that's why you need the Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says exactly that. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. There it is. To evangelize, disciple people, to obey everything Jesus commanded. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Obedience trumps gifting. Because the Spirit will fill you for whatever you will uh, for whatever you will need to make disciples. You don't need a certain spiritual gift. You need obedience. And then you need a filling of the Holy Spirit to be able to carry it out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to use my wife. I didn't ask her permission, but it's easier to apologize later than, uh, than to ask for permission. So, sorry, honey. My, my uh, Fran is an administrative kind of individual. She's always viewed herself that way. 
And for years, she, she did not see herself as being somebody that would disciple people intentionally. But four years ago, that all changed. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her in her prayer time and said, I want you to disciple one person. And she began to disciple. And you know what she used? Those clumsy, massive lessons that we use for, for mentoring pastors. That's what she used. I don't know how she did it. She did her whole year, but at the end of the year, God used her to suggest that Chris Puach take those materials and now condense them into something that could be used for, for, for everyone other than a pastor. Pastors need these big amounts because they're dealing with all these issues and arguments about this and that, so you got to craft it very carefully. So it's based on that. And so we asked Chris Puach to do it, and he's been building. He, it's lesson for lesson, exactly the same but uh, using the way. And now she's done it for three years, and she's, she's got a network of uh, women in ministry now who are being discipled, and I think it's like about 137 women or something like that. And it's growing. And she's, uh, she's never considered herself to be a teacher. She never wanted to teach. She, she doesn't like it. And often she's really uptight just before lessons, just like I am, actually. And um, I just knew you wouldn't believe it if I said it for about myself, but it's the truth. And she's, she's so uptight, but she goes and she asks for a filling of the Spirit, and the Spirit fills her and gives her incredible answers when they ask ridiculous questions. And I don't mean foolish questions. I just mean hard questions. And that happens to me all the time with these pastors. Some of them got doctorates and years of ministry, and they ask Questions I haven't even thought of. And then the Holy Spirit, I need a filling of the Spirit for those answers. Following are some purposes for which you will need fresh fillings of the Spirit. Filling for boldness. Peter and John were arrested, brought to trial before Annas, the um, high priest in the entire Sanhedrin court. Annas, the high priest, demanded by what name Peter had performed the miracle on the lame uh, beggar. And it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, and he goes on and he launches in to talking about them. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they were astonished, it says. One thing they got through the filling of the Holy Spirit was courage. Upon release, Peter and John reported to the church what had happened, and the church then raised their voices together in unison prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And after they prayed this, it says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In some cases, you pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit for a specific need. In, the, in other cases, as you obey, as you go, and you're in the middle of ministering and making disciples, you're part of the Great Commission, and you're moving forward, and you're, gonna, you're not going to know what the answers are all the time. You're studying, but you, oh, wow, things you never even thought of. The Holy Spirit will fill you. He will initiate the filling. Ha-ha, that's great news, isn't it? The church will not only need this in the coming days, it needs it now. 
Many have already fallen away from the faith because of social pressure. We need boldness, but we can't get, we can't work up courage and boldness. We need to pray for boldness and courage. Amen? Number two, filling for a message. When Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, they not only received boldness from the filling of the Spirit, they received the words, the very words to speak in front of these intellectual and educated leaders. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm repeating, same thing, and he launches into this message, and then it says in verse 13, when they saw that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. You say, I'm not educated, I'm not an intellect, I'm all that. Well, welcome to the discipleship club. Neither were the disciples. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's why they could do extraordinary things. But some of the filling of the Holy Spirit only comes as you go and as you obey. If you are waiting to get it all before you launch and obey, you'll never get it. It comes as you go. The river was parted. The Jordan River was parted as Joshua stepped into the river. That's called faith. That's called walking in step with the Spirit. That's what it is. It's a walk of faith. And this is exactly what Jesus had promised. He said, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. They got the very words they were to speak. Now, this isn't to say we should be lazy and not study. <laughs> we have to study. He's not going to, he, he's not going to make up for our deficiencies when it's not our fault, when, it, when it's our fault. But when we need something, because there's only so much you can do, he will give you what you need. I believe this with all my heart. This is my life. This is how I live. You think that I know how to, how to, how to run an organization? I don't know. You think I know how to lead a church? You think I know how to run church renewal? When we started, we had no materials, we had no people, we had no plan and no strategy. We depended, we went in obedience and the Holy Spirit filled us every time we needed the next thing. We'd go to him, oh, Holy Spirit, please fill us. We don't have a clue what to do. And then he does it. And then he gets all the credit, all the glory. That's how it should be. That's how it always will be. Amen? Yes. Filling for comfort. When you engage in the Great Commission and making disciples, you will experience great disappointments and sometimes even pain. I guarantee you. Because part of the reason is because Satan's going to fight you with all his might. And at the end of Acts... Um, we see Paul in the Roman prison. From prison, he sent a letter to Philemon, which included greetings. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow uh, workers. Paul was released from prison, but just a few later, he was rearrested and imprisoned in Rome, where he would be finally executed. Just before his martyrdom, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. In it, he mentioned people who had abandoned him. 
You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. But even more painful was the loss of a close friend and colleague. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Can you, can you hear, can you feel the pain in Paul as he writes those words? Earlier in his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul had this to say about the severity of his afflictions. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. That's a staggering statement. That was the Apostle Paul. The afflictions, the disappointments, the pain of of people who, would, who deserted him and left him in the middle of serving Christ, making disciples, evangelizing, great commission. Uh, there's pain involved in it. Yet Paul was able to say that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and comfort. He says, I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. How did he get that comfort? In the same way that he, he writes in Romans how he gets love and joy and hope. All of them, and boldness we already saw, all of them, he says, he gets by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in him, by a filling of the Holy Spirit. Every last one of them. That's how he gets it. And he said, that's how I get comfort. Comfort is the alleviation of pain. Encouragement, you know, it might be to... Um, to take the step forward. It's that positive step in the, in, you know, in the, in the line there. But uh, comfort is the alleviation, that negative part of pain. And Paul said he was filled with comfort. And wow, you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's just full of what him talking about comfort that he gets from the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Just like you can be filled with spirit to have the other things so you can have it for comfort. And some of you, and we prayed for some of you, and I know it wasn't in the context of making disciples, but you need the comfort of the spirit right now. You need the filling of the spirit. We, need, we will continue to pray for you that God will fill you with his spirit and, and comfort. And you can pray for that too. The early church experienced it during persecution. Ironically, it was persecution from the Apostle Paul. <laughs> In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, this is, uh, uh, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Wow. And it says, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It was Paul who was first called Saul, who was persecuting the church right then. Many of them were killed. Others were imprisoned. You can imagine the pain it was causing in many Christian homes. And the Holy Spirit comforted them. Isn't that amazing? You know what I was singing this morning? The Holy Spirit, I, I just, this just came to my mind. All morning long, as I switched up the whole message, I've been singing, the comforter has come. 
<laughs> right now I could sing it, but I don't think you want to hear that. Fourth, filling for miraculous works. When the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food, the apostles instructed them to choose seven men full of... Uh, uh, full or known to be full of the spirit and wisdom to resolve the issue. One man chosen was Stephen, who ministered powerfully in preaching with accompanying signs and wonders. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. There it is. That's another way of saying he was filled with the spirit. In fact, they were supposed to look for people who were known to be full of the Spirit. That's what the apostles had said. Did great wonders and miraculous signs among people, that's how he did it. It wasn't because he had this uh, amazing uh, gift. He's just a miracle worker. No. He was filled with the Holy Spirit to do this as he proclaimed the gospel, as he was doing the work of making disciples, the Great Commission. That's how. Philip, another of the seven chosen deacons also evangelized powerfully with accompanying signs and wonders so that it resulted in the Samaritans coming to Christ. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 8. And then fifth and final, filling for martyrdom. Oh, we could go on more. I mean, I haven't touched on guidance, okay? But we've talked about guidance for so long. Stephen's ministry and message were being greatly opposed. And when arrested, they falsely accused him of blasphemy against Moses and God. When, he, when asked if the charges were true, Stephen launched into a spirit-empowered sermon. There it is, those words. And it says he was filled. Ending with a charge of his own that they were stiff-necked, who always resisted the Holy Spirit as their fathers had done. And when the Sanhedrin heard these things, they were enraged and ground their teeth at him. Look what happened Next, Acts 7, and he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Think of this. Jesus sat down sat down at the right hand of God, God when, he, when he ascended into heaven and showed that he had finished the work that, that the Father had asked him to do. But here, he gets up from the throne to welcome the first Christian martyr. And he stands there at the precipice and lets Stephen see so that he can go through the martyrdom, the opposition, the persecution, the stoning, that he can make it to the end. I wonder, I just wonder, how many other martyrs God has met in that kind of way. Jesus has shown up and filled them with his spirit as they were being martyred in the end. You and I can't, we don't have strength to be martyred. But when he fills us with the Holy Spirit, then we can be. And he just may call some of us one day to that. 
And Jesus filled him with the Spirit so he could see into heaven and be encouraged to stand strong to the end. And Jesus was waiting to welcome him. It's incredible. It's very moving, isn't it? That's how much he loves us. And he gives us the Spirit to make us able to do the impossible. That's why you need him. That's why I need him. And we need him continually. We need fresh fillings every day. And we need to obey. Amen? Yeah. This is not a false alarm, what I just preached. It's not. However, mankind does not have the final say in this matter. Aren't you glad about that? Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what the rulers of the day say. No God for us. Nobody tells us what to do. We'll make our own utopia. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king, that's Jesus, the divine, Davidic seed king, on Zion, my holy hill, the millennial reign of the Davidic divine king over the earth will happen. And before that, we're promised a second harvest and a second Holy Spirit outpouring. In Acts uh, 2, Peter quoted Joel in this. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I'll pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Sun will be turned to darkness, moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And Jesus quoted that same passage in Matthew 24. This is an end times event as seen by the signs. This major outpouring of God's Holy Spirit will result in the greatest harvest yet. With the recent explosion of population on the earth, a global revival could easily produce more Christians on the planet than are in heaven today. Revelation says, and this is where I end, before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Do you feel like we're in the minority sometimes? <laughs> we're going to be in the majority pretty soon from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne they were wearing white robes and one of the elders asked me these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from I answered, sir, you know and he said yes, I know these are those or they who have come out of the great tribulation they have washed their robes made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Don't you want a part in that harvest? You can. You can. Churches like Southland and hundreds and hundreds around the world are intentionally moving into a discipleship-making footing.
be discipled, make disciples. By the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit, that's my prayer and my challenge to you today. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.